Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, May 11th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. The White House mobilizing after a massive cyber attack on a critical fuel pipeline as drivers in some states rush to fill their cars because of possible gasoline shortages. Crisis in the Middle East. At least 24 people are dead, including children, as Israel launches airstrikes against Gaza, while Hamas rocket attacks take aim at several Israeli cities. And is the U.S. one step closer to the end of the coronavirus pandemic? A look at the authorization of the Pfizer vaccine in children 12 to 15 years old. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. Again, with a cyber attack on a major pipeline supplying nearly half of all the fuel to the East Coast, officials were on Capitol Hill this morning for a hearing on improving federal cybersecurity as the White House is trying to soothe concerns about price spikes. Edwin Pitti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Carolina, the Senate's Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee held a hearing to discuss ways to improve the federal government's cybersecurity after a clear increase in cyber attacks. In the hearing, three officials from the Department of Homeland Security, Commerce and Health and Human Services highlighted ways in which the government has improved to protect and modernize their systems. The committee chairman, Senator Gary Peters, said that agencies need to better anticipate individual risks and that a government-wide approach is needed to assess any threats. Brandon Wells, acting director of the Cybersecurity and Information Security Agency, explained the importance of providing DHS with the funds to tackle any vulnerabilities in the current systems. Take a listen. But investment only goes so far. It is imperative that we move to more secure and defensible architectures. We must transition zero trust from a buzzword to the baseline standard for network design and configuration. It will not be easy, smooth, or cheap, but the cost of not doing so is simply too high. And now to the latest cyber attack against the U.S. The FBI confirms that the cyber criminal group behind the shutdown of a major U.S. pipeline is DarkSide, a group based in Russia. However, they said they don't have evidence that the hackers are controlled by the Russian government. President Biden says his administration has taken steps to ensure the supply of gasoline isn't reduced and is committed to safeguarding America's critical infrastructure. This is what he said. We have efforts underway with the FBI and DOJ, Department of Justice, to disrupt and, and uh, prosecute ransomware criminals. And my administration will be pursuing a global effort of ransomware attacks by transnational criminals who often use global money laundering networks to carry them out. Meanwhile, DarkSci posted a statement saying they are responsible for the attack. Their website says they never meant to cause social harm, that their only goal is to make money and not to create problems for society. Colonial Pipeline said they are working to resume most of the operations by the weekend and they are not expected to see a significant increase in gas prices. However, for cities in North Carolina and Florida that are experiencing gas outage, they will receive the assistance of the federal agencies who are getting ready to deliver the help. We are live on Washington, D.C. Back to you, Carolina. 
And thank you for the live information, Edwin Pitti. And now to a dramatic escalation of violence in the Middle East, sparked by weeks of tensions in Jerusalem. Israel has unleashed new airstrikes on Gaza. All this as Hamas and other armed groups bombard southern Israel with hundreds of rockets. Andrea Linares has the latest. This video shows just some of the damage left to buildings and surrounding areas following Israeli airstrikes in Gaza on Monday. Overnight, a deadly barrage from Israeli forces, rockets lighting up the skies over Gaza. And in the West Bank, sirens in Bethlehem. Earlier, Palestinian militant groups fired more than 200 rockets into Israel, many close to Jerusalem. The United States condemns in the strongest terms the barrage of rocket attacks fired into Israel in recent hours. Most of the Hamas rockets stopped by Israel's missile defense system or fell short. People scattering at the sacred western wall as warning sirens rang out. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warning a red line had been crossed. But the militant group Hamas had been warning for days it would strike unless Israel pulled its forces back from Islamic sites in Jerusalem. The current violence, like previous rounds, has been fueled by conflicting claims over Jerusalem, which is at the emotional core of the long conflict. Some Palestinian leaders say Israel's occupation in Jerusalem has led to a system of persecution and oppression. Uh, this situation is intolerable and it has lasted longer than anybody can tolerate. Israeli strikes reportedly killing at least 26 Palestinians, including nine children and a woman. Israel saying some of the dead were militants. More than 100 were wounded. Riots are now also spilling over across the West Bank. Angry Palestinians can be seen throwing stones and fireworks at Israeli soldiers. The latest exchange of fire followed clashes in Jerusalem after Israeli police stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque during the holy month of Ramadan. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken met with Jordan's foreign minister at the Department of State and called on all sides to de-escalate. That violence needs to cease. Uh, all sides need to de-escalate, reduce tensions, take practical steps to calm things down. Israel's military said it's sending troop reinforcements to the Gaza border and the defense minister ordered the mobilization of 5,000 reserve soldiers. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu also announcing that Israel will increase its strikes against militants in the Gaza Strip, saying Hamas will receive blows that it didn't expect. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea. And in other news out of the Middle East, a U.S. Coast Guard ship had a tense encounter near the Persian Gulf on Monday. The Pentagon says six U.S. Navy vessels were escorting a guided missile submarine when 13 Iranian Navy fast attack boats approached the U.S. Navy vessels at high speed and came within about 150 yards after trying to evade a U.S. Coast Guard cutter fired about 30 warning shots. After the second round, the Iranian fast boats then left the area. Last month, Iran's Navy came within 70 yards of U.S. ships operating in the Persian Gulf. And earlier in April, four Iranian naval ships came within 70 yards of two Coast Guard cutters.
And a big milestone in the fight against the pandemic. The FDA has approved Pfizer's COVID vaccine for children 12 to 15 years old. This could mean a return to in-person classes in the fall for middle and high school students. Lorraine Casares has all the details. 12 to 15 year olds will soon be able to get their COVID-19 shots. My friend got uh, COVID-19 um, and it did not look fun at all because he was always tired and had aches everywhere. And I just did not want to get that at all. And also it means that I can go more places um, and be less worried about what I'm going to do. The FDA on Monday extending Pfizer's emergency use authorization for that age group. This is just trying to beat the virus, try to get everything back to normal. Dr. Robert Frank has been researching vaccines for kids for 40 years. He now oversees COVID-19 vaccine trials in kids at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Just one month after getting the second dose, Pfizer's trials found that teens ages 12 to 15 had even higher levels of antibodies than 16 to 25-year-olds who had also gotten the shots, making them far less likely to get sick. 18 cases of COVID in the 1,500 adolescents that had placebo and zero in the group that got vaccine. On an interview with ABC News, Pfizer CEO says that 12 to 15 year olds should get the same two shots as adults. It requires two doses because this is the way that we will be able to accomplish good enough immunity for one to be at uh, 95 percent. Pfizer says that the current data shows a third dose may be needed as well as annual revaccinations. According to the CDC, children under 18 make up 12 percent of all cases, but also represent just a tenth of a percent of all COVID-19 deaths. The agency has found more than 3,000 children have developed hyperimmune response to the virus known as MISC, which causes different parts of their body to become inflamed. Meanwhile, the big question is, will parents vaccinate their kids? A recent survey found 29% of parents of children under age 18 plan to get them vaccinated as soon as the shot is available. And 32% say they want to wait and see how the vaccine is working. And the next step in this process is that the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunizations agrees with this recommendation. If that happens on their next meeting on Thursday, vaccinations for kids 12 to 15 years old can start as soon as Thursday. Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for the live report. And we could be seeing a new COVID-19 vaccine soon. Monday, the company Novavax announced it is planning to apply for emergency use in the U.S. The company CEO says it expects to file in the third quarter of the year. Novavax had previously announced plans to apply for authorization in the second quarter, but ran into delays getting important manufacturing data. In the meantime, the company says it is stockpiling tens of millions of doses. Novavax also announced on Monday it intends to file for authorization in the United Kingdom and also in Europe. And as the FDA considers approving Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for kids as young as 12 years old, officials are warning parents not to forget other vaccines. A CDC study found childhood vaccines failed by as much as 22% in places like Michigan. Physicians say diseases like missiles can also be deadly and kids should be protected. Experts say people should wait two weeks after receiving a second COVID shot to get other vaccines. 
That's why doctors want to get kids vaccinated as soon as possible so they don't have to wait even longer. Meanwhile, to more than a year into the pandemic, another health crisis is looming of that undiagnosed cancers. Preventive cancer screenings dropped by as much as 94% during the first four months of 2020 during the start of the pandemic. That's according to a new reporting by ProPublica. Like the pandemic, this crisis is expected to impact Black Americans and Latinos the hardest. And joining us now to talk more about this is ProPublica reporter and author of the story, Dua Eldib. Thank you so much for your time, Dua. Thank you for having me on. You follow the case of a 48-year-old factory worker, Teresa, who for months delayed going to the doctor. Can you tell us more about her case? Yes, yeah, so Teresa is a, like you said, a 48-year-old factory worker. She has worked more than half of her life in the same candy factory in Chicago. Uh, she she loved work because it was her way of being able to provide for her three, three children. Um, she is someone who loves her children. And, um, you know, one of the things that struck me when I first started talking to her is just, you know, how much she sacrificed for them. So, um, you know, they have a three bedroom house. She had always lived, um, slept in the living room so that her kids could have each of um, each of them could have their own bedroom. And when she started feeling sick last year, uh, she delayed going into care because she was afraid of missing work, afraid of falling behind on the bills, afraid of um, you know her house going into foreclosure. And so she ignored her symptoms and uh, she kept working. And at the factory, when her colleagues were calling in sick because of COVID, she was working even more. So she didn't slow down during the pandemic. And um, what happened after months of this, uh, she it got to be unbearable and she scheduled a telehealth appointment. Um, and then she later, um, you know, basically broke down in tears and had to go to the ER. And that's when she was diagnosed with stage four inflammatory breast cancer. What a tragic story. And what have been the main barriers for people getting cancer screenings or even treatment during this pandemic? So at the beginning, uh, when this first happened, the advice had been and the messaging had been from all of the national organizations not to go into the hospital. Um, you know, they said try to, to stay away from the hospital because they were saving that for the patients who were really sick with COVID. Um, and so at the very beginning, uh, cancer, a lot of cancer departments closed, cancer clinics suspended their chemotherapy, their radiation. Um, but since then, since there's been a better understanding of COVID and transmission, and since hospitals have taken a lot of precautions, they've been trying to get patients back in, but there's a barrier where patients are still afraid to go into the hospital because of fear of contracting COVID. And many patients like Teresa, who is considered an essential worker, have not been able to uh, you know, take off of work. There are also, um, in many cases, insurance barriers, healthcare access barriers. And just on that, why is this crisis of undiagnosed cancers going to impact Black Americans and Latinos the most? Well, unfortunately, what we saw with COVID is that it exacerbated a lot of existing racial disparities and health inequities. So just like COVID ended up hitting Black and Latino communities so hard, um, 
cancer before the COVID pre-pandemic was already hitting Black and Latino communities hard. So Black Americans die at a higher rate of all cancers combined than any other racial group. And for Latinos, cancer is the leading cause of death. And for women specifically, breast cancer is the leading cause of death for Latino women. And can we expect an increase in screenings and treatments as more people get vaccinated? Uh, that's the hope, and hospitals have already started to see um, patients returning to the hospital, patients who are now feeling more comfortable, understanding what the um, precautions the hospitals and doctors' offices are taking, also that they've gotten their own vaccines. But the concern is that after going more than a year of delaying care, that patients are coming in with more advanced cancers. So they're coming in sicker than they usually, um, than they would have been before. Um, they have fewer treatment options and cases like Teresa's where um, it could have been treated e earlier um, are now um, incurable in some cases. And what about Teresa, the woman in your story? What is her prognosis? Has she been able to return to work? She has not been able to return to work, and that's something that's been very difficult for her because of how much she um, you know, valued work and as a way to help her family. So her son, Sergio, has really put his life on hold. He um, is an aspiring medical student. He uh, you know, plans to become a doctor, uh, but he has to put that on hold. He has a full-time job. He's helping support the family as they um, wait and see what happens with Teresa. Well, thank you so much for your time, ProPublica reporter Dua Eldip. Thanks again. Thank you. More of your news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming might soon find out her fate. GOP House members were told to anticipate a vote on Wednesday on Cheney's conference chair position. She's expected to be removed due to her opposition of former President Trump's claims that he won the 2020 election. Cheney, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, also voted in favor of the second impeachment of Trump and blasted him for his role in the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. If Cheney is removed, she may be replaced by Representative Elsie Stefanik of New York. Stefanik's voting record is a less conservative than Cheney's record, but Stefanik is a vocal Trump supporter. And looking around the country, for the first time in history, Minnesota will vote on a bill that legalizes marijuana. The legislation is expected to pass the House with bipartisan backing. However, the bill will probably be blocked in the Republican-led Senate. A poll taken last year found that 51% of those questioned are pro-pot, while 37% felt the opposite. A survey six years ago showed a majority of the states was against legalization.
In Georgia, the governor has signed a bill repealing the state's citizens' arrest law. The General Assembly passed the bill in March. For nearly a year, Governor Brian Kemp and state lawmakers have been pushing for the repeal. It came after the death of Ahmoud Arberi, who was fatally shot while jogging through a neighborhood. The three men charged with his murder invoked the civil era citizens' arrest law as their defense. They had suspected he committed a crime, which he did not. And in California, a drought is getting worse. Monday, the governor, Gavin Newsom, expanded a drought emergency declaration to include 39 additional counties in the central and northern regions of the state. Newsom's initial state of emergency was due to a lack of rainfall and an unexpected re reduction in water flowing to major reservations. The new emergency declaration directs state agency to take action to help farmers, and the governor also called on Californians to do their part to save water. And Newsom also unveiling a record-breaking aid package for residents in the Golden State. Luis Mejid explains how the new assistance could also help immigrants. California Governor Gavin Newsom announced the largest aid package in the state's history, billions of dollars in tax rebates for the residents most affected by the pandemic, including undocumented immigrants. Republican governors say that uh, too much help uh, it's, it's uh, hurting businesses because, according to them, many people prefer to get the checks instead of going to work. Yeah, look, I'm a small business person. I have hundreds and hundreds of employees. And uh, while that may be true in certain sectors of our economy, in the service industry, the restaurant industry, in some isolated cases, the vast majority of cases, that's not the, uh, not the point, not, not true. And so it really goes to our values in this state. We're going to have the backs of undocumented. We're going to make sure we're there for mixed status families. We're going to be there for our essential workers. You answered my second question, which uh, had to do with undocumented workers. You know, there's always opposition when that comes to, uh, That's why I have to a the recall. table. Don't, by the way, this recall started when we provided, regardless of immigration status, zero to six health care, zero to 26 health care. Literally the impetus for this recall, if you read the actual petition, it's around immigration. It had nothing to do with the pandemic. Read the petition. Mm -hmm. Because of our support for undocumented communities, this just only furthers their angst. Uh, and I say that without any hesitation, so what? Because we'll do the right thing. In spite of his critics, Newsom believes that for California, the best is yet to come. And he wants immigrants to know that they are part of California's future. In Oakland, Luis Mejid, U News. And today we are learning that Puerto Rico's population fell 11.8% to 3.3 million over the past decade. Those numbers coming from the U.S. Census Bureau. Puerto Rico has suffered a string of diseases and setbacks that have led to an exodus of island residents to the U.S. mainland, including drought, near economic collapse, earthquakes and hurricanes, the worst of which was Hurricane Maria almost five years ago. It's a small town along the border between the U.S. and Mexico, and for the first time in months, residents are seeing something pretty unusual, a decrease in the number of migrants trying to cross over into the U.S. Grecia Lastra explains what's happening. 
After several days without migrants crossing through Roma, Texas, they resumed crossing the Rio Bravo in small rafts at night. We have suffered along the way. We want to be here. We don't want to go back. At about 10 p.m., the first groups of families with children and unaccompanied children were seen, and it took about three hours before they stopped crossing. Something is happening, says this pastor who comes every night to help the migrants. Fewer and fewer are arriving. We were seeing large numbers of people, and now obviously there are fewer people coming through. And that is seen in small groups crossing in rafts that just a few weeks ago were full. I think that they're implementing new laws or new strategies. They are working. For many migrants, the trip is life or death because the gangs do not forgive, said this Honduran mother who arrived with two children in tears. If one doesn't obey what they say, they kill us. Although in Texas, the presence of the National Guard has increased. In Mexico, the border is guarded heavily, and they do not let them get to the river easily, said this coyote. Right now, there are a lot of military over there and a lot of state police over here. In addition to Central Americans, last night a family of Romanians crossed the border, five adults and three children, and this young mother from Ecuador, a country where migration is increasing. You have to have faith in God. Everything is possible. At the end of the night, no more than 50 people had crossed, after no one was seen crossing for three days. This is a sign, according to the pastor, that the federal government's strategy is working. Reported by Pedro Treras in Roma, Texas, this is Grecia Lastra for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. Thank you.